Hey there, Pindaran and Torrens. Welcome to another episode of Campaign Spotlight. I'm Production Master Riley. And I'm Dungeon Inspector Jake. This week, we're chatting with Chris, who's a former player of Jake's. Chris played some fun and richly detailed characters in a long-running campaign. We're going to be talking about situations where a DMPC helps your players tell their story. I've never been able to convincingly work a DMPC into a campaign, and I'm looking forward to hearing how it worked out for Chris. Let's roll initiative. And now, a word from our general. The gnome jumps off stage and scrambles over an ironclad man in full black armor stands up, slowly walks up to the podium. He stares out to the audience. Everyone, including yourself, look back at him. He seems to command the very presence he's in. What is power? He says. The ironclad general slowly starts to walk away from the podium. Despite having not been the voice amplifier, his voice carries to the auditorium. He looks away from his commanding officers and towards the crowd itself, staring at the cadets, you and your friends. Is it one of combat prowess with spell and sword? The ability to manipulate those around them? A divine blessing from the gods? Nay. Power comes from strength of will, the will to change the world around them, to protect what is dear to them. As you move through your duties in the royal army, have the will to change, protect, and serve our kingdom's future for Formai. That's our, that's our intro. <laughs> that was fucking awesome. When you started with that first voice, I was like, uh-oh, where's this going to go? <laughs> no. I'm waiting for two minutes of just that yeah. one voice. Just uh, that. That. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Campaign Spotlight. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Would you mind introducing yeah, yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name's Chris. Uh, I am a DM of, God, too many years now. Um, I first started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was a sophomore in high school, I think I want to say. Um, and that was, what, 2006? So We're old. We are. I hate that. I hate that a lot. <laughs> Back in my day. We yeah, right? <laughs> we had to make our own dice. Yeah. Of, yeah. Out of the bones of our own fingers. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so you started when you were in high school. Yeah. And have you been playing basically nonstop ever since? Uh, like, on and off. Um, it was uh, something I did in college a lot, and then like after college, I was like, I need a break. Um, you know, I had some stuff, and then I met a bunch of friends. Uh, I'm a big Magic the Gathering player. Um, I met some friends at the store I was playing at, and uh, we became very close friends. And they were like, "Do you play D and D?" I was like, "Yeah, I play D and D." Like, cool. We're gonna go play a second edition campaign. And I was like, "Ooh, second edition." What was <laughs> uh, second edition like? Oh, uh, it's. Like, we're going to talk more about it later with Pathfinder, but, like, second edition is a complete... I, I don't even know really how to describe it. It's so crazy with the rules and how things work and, like, how, like, you can level up by just casting spells. Like, not even, like, killing or, like, hurting someone or manipulating an event. Just cast a spell. You gain some experience points. Um, like, Thatco is a really weird stat. Um, it's it's a wild thing. Um, like... Oh gosh, we're not we're not talking about this. We're just talking about that. But um, I went and played with them, and then I moved out here, um, where I found you, and I was playing with you. It was, it was really great and lots of fun. Um, but yeah, we had for a while. we had a pretty great campaign going during <laughs> pandemic lockdown over Zoom uh, <laughs> with Prim, who's also on this season, and I think that was I don't know. We could just play for eight hours yeah. on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, it made it really easy when we had such a colorful cast. You know, we had, yeah. um, you know, characters that had different motivations. And uh, I think the part was that everyone was really willing to, like, dig into what made their character tick. Um, and that just made it so much fun to just, like, sit around and role play with everyone. We'd have whole sessions where we'd be like, Jake would be like, I have combat we were supposed to do. And we're like, shh, we're, we're role playing. We're having fun. <laughs> I have this whole encounter set up and they're just sitting on the beach being like, is this colonialism that we're doing right now? Let's examine those motivations. <laughs> is imperialism bad? <laughs> For anyone listening? Yes. Yes. <laughs> A 
characters have to get there, though. So that's, that's right, on them. Right, right, I feel like they mostly did. They did. They got there. Anyway, we are not talking about that campaign. No, we're not. Maybe at some point we'll, we'll have Riley interview me about that game. <laughs> <laughs> Riley does not look thrilled about this concept. Yeah, tell us about your Pathfinder game. Sure. Um, so this campaign never really had a formal title. Um, it was kind of something... Uh, back when I was living in Philly, I had a group of friends um, that always sat down and we played D&D about... We tried once a week. Uh, usually a Saturday or a Sunday. And then... We had a rule where you had to shuffle DMs at least once every four months to give the DM a chance to break. So, like, no one person was DMing, but it really boiled down to, like, three of us that would, like, just rotate between the DMs and everyone else would just play. We kind of had no problem with that. Um, so was this all one campaign with rotating DMs? No, 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 no. This was just, like, how our system came up. And this is how my campaign, it was my turn to do this campaign. It was like, Got it. it's Chris's turn to DM. Chris, you gotta DM this campaign. I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and the DM has to like you know set up rules and stuff like that. Uh, and at the moment when we started this campaign, uh, everyone's lives were really really busy except for uh, my friend Dan, Dave, and Ben. And so it was just the three of the four of us, including myself, um, wanted to play D and D. So we're like, we're gonna do that. And because it was so few people, I was like, you guys play second edition and fifth edition. Uh, actually, did 5th edition come out yet? I think it might have been before 5th edition. 5th um, edition, I'm going to look up what you're Look that up. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't 5th, it was 4th edition, and, and there's a whole drama thing about 4th edition, people's reception of that, because either you love that edition or you hate it. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> um, but I was like, hey, you guys have never played Pathfinder. I would like to sit you guys down and give this a shot, if you would. And they were like... Uh, sure. Okay, so 2014 is one game. So I was right when 5th edition coming out. We weren't too sure about 5th edition still. And I was like, I really want to do Pathfinder. And they're like, yeah, sure, we'll give this a shot. Um, I learned how to play D&D on, on 3.0. Um, so 3.0 and 3.5 are like some of my favorite editions of D&D just because that's how I learned how to play the game and learned how to roleplay. Um, so Pathfinder is a continuation of 3.5. Uh, basically, Wizards of the Coast had a group called Dragon Magazine that wrote supplemental content for D&D 3.5 and basically when they're like moving on to 4th edition a bunch of them were like we kind of still like this 3.5 system we want to keep developing it and they broke off and made Patio um, that now makes Pathfinder Starfinder um, they're a very big name now which is really cool um, and we played Pathfinder 1.0 which is basically just like 3.5 plus <laughs> so um, if you never played 3.5 it's a lot of crunchy number things when it comes to combat uh, but you can really get down to the nitty gritty do some really cool things with this uh, system and stuff like that so it's always one of my favorite in the back pocket uh, but it's definitely not a system for everyone <laughs> can you t give us some examples of like what this number crunch looked like um so like even just rolling a character is a lot in in pathfinder so you start out um you know you have your level one like you know your base stats and stuff like that you pick your class uh, everyone's HP is it's very similar to 5th edition, but then it's just like, oh, don't forget to add this feat, and this is how you calculate skills. And by the way, now you have this attack and that attack and this, this, and don't forget about, like, dueling has this huge off, -will and off penalty, so, you know, you get a minus, like, 5, minus 2 in your, <laughs> your hands and stuff like that, and it's a whole bunch of things that come along with it, but if you know how to manipulate the rules, you can become extremely potent and extremely scary. Um, one of the things people are always like, Chris, what's your favorite character to play in Pathfinder? I'm like, a paladin with a bow. Uh, range smite is very scary. Um, especially when no one can get close to you. Um, you know, there's, uh, clerics where they're channeling, um, because they don't actually, like, prepare healing spells. Like, no cleric knows healing spells. They just can channel positive or negative energy. And that's, and it's, like, gonna burst around them. And you can turn some of that channel into healing spells if you want to. So, like, there's a whole combination with that and trying to figure out how to heal people. Um, there's, like, fighter stuff is absolutely wild. Like, all the weird fighter things you can do. Um, like, I made a halfling fighter that had a uh, lance and she rode, like, a little uh, husky dog Very into cute. war. <laughs> she was so good. But, like, with mounted combat in that game, you can, like, use your, your uh, skill check to move as your AC with that. So, like... By level six, I had like almost a 30 AC and when people were trying to hit me and stuff like that. So it was like, you were never, there's so many crazy wild things you can do in this game 
that lets you do fun things with Pathfinder. So like, you can get really number crunchery. Um, another great example is my brother and I, um, there's a set of th- feats called teamwork feats, where if your team takes these feats together, you guys get very powerful effects. And we were playing, you know, the traditional rogue fighter combo that, you know, hey, flank for me, I'll set you up. But like, we took a bunch of teamwork feats that were all about setting up that flank. And it got to the point where at one point our sorcerer of the party was like, can I please kill something before you both like gang up on it? <laughs> so you can just do some crazy stuff with that system. It's a lot of fun. Is it mostly crunch around combat in particular? Uh, combat is the crunchiest part. Uh, skills can also be kind of crunchy. If you look at the character sheet I gave you, like there's a lot of skills here. Um, in addition to that, just like there's bonus skills and like how your skills ranks and stuff like work like that. Um, but for the most part, if you understand fifth edition and three, five, it's not too hard to understand Pathfinder. So, um, crunch mostly comes from combat. So I'm looking at the character sheet that Chris gave me right now, just to be clear. Mm. And I'm going to read a sentence from this. (laughs) Oh no. To give people a sense of like what the bonus on a magical weapon might look like. Right. And, And this, I think is basically something on the same level as um, as like Green Flame Blade or yeah. something like that in 5th edition. But one sentence of the description is as follows. This bonus can be added to the weapon stacking with existing bo- weapon bonuses to a maximum of plus 5. Or it can be used to add any of the following weapon bonuses. Defending, Flaming, Keen, Merciful, plus 1. Axiomatic, Disruption, Flaming Burst, Holy, plus 2. Speed, plus 3. And Brilliant Energy, plus 4. And that's one sentence in about a 10 sentence paragraph that describes the bonus actions that you can do with this weapon. So this is a whole other level of crunch from what people <laughs> kind of came into D&D in particular. Yeah through watching actual plays where things are a lot more streamlined this is a whole other level of crunch how long did it take so you had three players I had three players yeah how long did it take to get through a round of combat um it can take a while um the nice part about it is Pathfinder is like generally everyone has like a bread and butter thing they're trying to do um so once you get the kind of hang of it and the motions of it you go very fast um a great example I'm gonna talk about later on with one of our NPCs is uh, one of my characters is a wizard. Um, he's a specific type of wizard called a diviner, um, where he gets to go first and see things that happen beforehand and stuff like that. It's like, you know, think like that's so Raven kind of. Um, but he has like an initiative bonus of plus 15. He goes first every time. Um, and I remember his favorite thing to do was he'd like jump out into combat. He'd pick a target. It's like that one, that one looks really squishy. And he'd go bang and put his finger like a gun and cast magic missile at a high level spell and explode the target and like that was his opening gambit i always knew that was his opening gambit so like that saves us some time um but like i said it can get crunchy and when it gets too crunchy i know those trends are taking too long um i would like pull out my phone i'm like you got 30 seconds to make up your move and um that would speed people along so that they're not thinking for too long um, and trying to figure out, like, the perfect play or what we're supposed to do. Of course, I'll let them stop if there's, like, a big dramatic thing happens, like, you know, someone gets knocked over or, you know, the bad guy powers up. You know, I give them a chance to talk about and strategize what they want to do. But I try and keep combat very snappy and quick with my campaign so that, you know, we're not sitting here three hours later having, like, uh, whose turn is it? Whose turn is it? Whose turn is it? Are we done yet? Did we finish this turn? Like, you know, you've been there. So, so Chris is being too nice. In the game that we played, we were absolutely there. I think we had one session where one round lasted 90 minutes. I think so, or something like that. So, With the Great Beast in the North. Oh, gosh. Yo. But that was also, like, a very big and dramatic fight, too. So, like, that's fine. Like, that would be okay in my book, too. So That was meant to be the campaign finale because I didn't realize how long lockdown would last. <laughs> oh, COVID. What have you done to us? <laughs> I, but I really like the idea of giving them a time limit mm-hmm. because to some extent you want combat to feel stressful. You mm-hmm. want it to feel like split second decisions because that's what combat would be in real life. Exactly. You wouldn't have like, you know, talk to the orc or whatever bad guy you're fighting and be like, hey, I need you to pause for 10 seconds. Hey guys, come over here. We need to talk. Like that wouldn't happen. You'd be forced to make action and do things. And I've always felt that like, you know, pressuring people, even though like, it can be uncomfortable at times. And like, obviously there's a limit to when I'm like, I'm not young. Just go, go, go. Like, you know, but there is a moment where it's like, okay, if we would like to get through everything we'd like to get through today, we do have to pick up the pace. 
So um, I feel like a 30 second timer. Um, I used to have an egg timer back in college. Like, you know, when you would, like that would be perfect. That's perfect for them. Because then they know like, oh God, I have to go. Um, but usually a um, the hourglass timers are probably nicer for its people these days. I'd go more towards that. But you know, that was chaotic. 2009 Chris. <laughs> I honestly have to get better at that. The last one shot I ran took three sessions to resolve because I was letting everyone talk through every single move. Mm-hmm. And they were having fun. Yeah. But also, we spent nine hours yeah. on this one shot. So much for a one shot. Three shot. Yeah, three shot spread out over two months yeah. because of scheduling. Ooh. How combat heavy was this campaign? Um... It wasn't uncommon to have sessions where we didn't have combat. Um, I tried always to keep at least a little bit of combat in it um, because we were a, despite, you know, um, having this awesome Diviner Wizard that I can kind of see in the future, we had a very martial combat, heavy combat team. So, like, a lot of the role-playing skills were just kind of them bumbling around. So, um, I always try to cut combat, like, at least once a session, but usually no more than three. Um yeah, you know, unless you know we're doing a big dungeon, I'm like, hey, we're going in the sewers and get ready for combat. A lot of combat. And um, so this was the kind of campaign where they really had dungeon type missions. Yeah, like um, I think the first one they did was like they actually did go through a uh, a sewer and they found like okay, well, hold on, we're gonna let's talk about. I guess we should. I'm about to get in spoiler territory for the campaign. I think we need more background information before I can talk about the dungeon. I would actually love to hear all about the campaign. <laughs> and one of the nice things is, you've actually finished the campaign. Yeah. Some people come on for an interview. <laughs> and they're like, I actually can't talk about that because it will be spoilers for my players. Mm. And it's like, can, can you just give me their names? We'll put spoiler warnings like... And just don't Alice listen to this part. Dave, yeah, like <laughs> two people will be spoiled by this. We just can't let you know. Um, and also, the episode's not coming out tomorrow. Yeah. So I'm glad this is a campaign that is finished. <laughs> so if your players listen, they're not going to be like, oh no, he was the lich all along. Yeah, yeah, no. So, um, so as my dramatic interruption, I kind of botched a little bit, but it's fine. Um, we'll redo it. We'll, we'll redo it, okay. Um, uh, the party starts out as cadets for a royal army, um, and that was their general speaking to them. And um, the generals asked them and tasked them as because they're the top of their class, as tasked them on a very important mission. He needs them to go find um, an ancient artifact that um, they've located and need someone to go retrieve that's trustworthy. Um, and so they're met with their commanding officer. Uh, gosh, what's his name? I have his names. I wrote this down for a reason. Uh- <laughs> Um, no, 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 no. Um, uh, Zoltan is his name. Um, Zoltan is their commanding officer, and he's half dwarf, half human, um, and he's all the grumpiness of a dwarf times three. And the party, he's mean to the party. He doesn't tell them really well on information, um, and the party kind of just kind of grow to resent him. Um, but he sends them on their mission and they find a very strange hourglass. Um, and that's the whole premise of the campaign. Um, there are several hourglasses hidden throughout the world. Um, gather them all up. You get to make a wish. Um, undeniably comes the truth. That's it. Um, and he sent them to collect, uh, the first one and they could bring it back. No problem. Um, they have no idea what this hourglass is or does. They just know it's really magical, and that's it. <laughs> um, as the session progresses, uh, they find two and three more, and they're like, "Oh, sweet, we're doing pretty good. Find these, you know, these hourglasses." Um, and suddenly, um, after they found the third one, they're about to be tested. The fourth one, the alarms at the academy and the royal army are sounded, and they're like, "We have a mole here. There's someone that's like, you know, here to." do wrong against the kingdom and everyone's like who's, who's the mole and immediately the blame is placed on the party because they're the newest recruits they're doing too well they're doing all these things and everyone's like get them and they're like oh god what did we do we didn't do anything <laughs> and so there's a sense of panic where they like have the entire royal army and the academy chasing after them um you know they're lovely quartermaster that's one of my favorite characters in the campaign uh is a quartermaster that has like a big smiley face and he's always very nice and he's like i can't let you leave and he has like his battle axe as he's like they're trying to like walk through the door with a big smile still on his face um and it turns out zoltan was actually their commanding officer was the mole um 
and he gets the party out and he was actually very like um like mother hen like actually he loved the campaign and loved the characters and the missions and they were like wait he was on our side the whole time and he actually is not a dick and is super nice like what's happening here and the whole point was just trying to throw them off the trail so that you know they wouldn't be involved and be suspicious because they're innocent people they just thought they were signing up to be part of the royal army um turns out um they escape they go to this place in the mountains um where there's a resistance force and like wait why is there a resistance force i don't understand well the general that we talked about being he's actually a black dragon trying to gather all the hourglasses up to make his own wish and he's being opposed by a gold dragon um who's also one of my favorite npcs i've ever made um he is Lesroth, um, the gold dragon. And Lesroth always took the appearance during these mission briefings. You remember the Sultan from Aladdin? Yes. Very much like that. Like a very large, portly bearded man that laughs and is super happy. And that's how he would choose to present himself to the party. Um, he would have like lots of gold and stuff on. But he's, his goal is like, it's like, all right, listen, I can't let Rannick, who is the black dragon, collect all these hourglasses unspeakable evil things will happen. I need you to go steal them back. And I need you to keep them safe for us. And so the second part of the campaign is them running around trying to get everything back and trying to get all the hourglasses. Um, and that's that's kind of the whole story uh, for the most part. Um, but when we started, we got to the second part of the campaign when they've met the Resistance Force and um, Lesroff and everyone. Um, I've noticed their party composition was having some troubles. Um, the party at the moment is uh, a wizard, a uh, fighter slash cleric, and a ranger with a dog. Uh, this combat team cannot do anything if someone gets in their face. Uh, the cleric is just desperately like, please leave me alone. I need to heal people. The wizard's like, I'm tiny and soft. Please don't touch me. And the ranger's like, I'm still kind of tiny and soft, but also I have a dog, but he doesn't do that much. So there was this big issue where like I couldn't send monsters or enemies at them that would bump rush them because they would just get wiped and like they would really hurt. And so I was like, how do we solve this problem? And I was like, they really just need a fourth player. And I couldn't find a fourth player because everyone was super busy at this time in their lives. And so I was like, you know what? I can just be the fourth player and I will assist them in combat as a player named Aaron, um, who is actually Lesroth's son. Uh, he is a half-orc paladin, and I was like, this will give them the meat shield between the fighter cleric and the paladin, then at least they stand a chance in stopping people from just, like, bum-rushing the back lines. So I definitely want to talk more about Aaron and, and what it means to have a DMPC. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, can you tell us how the campaign ended? Oh, okay. Um, so a stalemate kind of breaks out. Um, Lesroff has four of the hourglass. There's seven total. Um, Rannick has three. Um, and it's kind of like... I'm not giving mine up. You're not giving yours up. It's time to do battle. And, you know, both the forces meet in the battlefield. They have a huge fight. Um, Lesroth takes a more uh, applicable form where he, like, looks like a war hero and not Sultan from Latin. <laughs> um, they fight it out. But uh, mid-combat, all the fighting stops because someone else has seven of the hourglasses and has stolen them from both parties. Um... So we mentioned a sewer earlier, a sewer dungeon they went into. Um, they ran across a very strange cleric. Um, this cleric uh, has, he seems to manipulate and make everything around him chaotic and weird. Um, and they're like, who is this guy? Why is he here? And it leaves with them before like he can like really do anything to them and he can, they can do anything to him. He kind of just like, oh, neat. I'll use you all later and disappears. Um, the same cleric reappears and he's like, I have all of them. I can now make my wish. And everyone's like, wait, no, stop. And he wishes for a portal from another realm where all these demons and monsters pour through. Um, they all pour through and they start attacking. And Rannick reveals that his goal was to stop that cleric and stop their cult. Um, which is why he wanted the hourglass um, he wasn't actually going to use it to enslave the world. It was kind of a very unlawful evil thing. Like, I can't rule the world if you guys destroy all of it. Um, and everyone's like, oh, we, we goofed. Did we goof? We might have goofed. Um, and um, 
sadly, Aaron is killed on the battlefield and raised as a um, black guard, which is like, you know, an anti-paladin. Um, and that's where the campaign ended. Uh, it ended because um, our friend Ben was moving to Texas and it was kind of like, we need to resolve everything that's happening in the campaign and put it in a point where we can pick it back up if we were to decide to pick it back up. And so um, that was where it ended. And, you know, there's still, I still get every now and then like, yo, when are we doing that campaign again, Chris? And I'm like, I got to find some time for us to be me ready in Philadelphia and like in Seattle between Philadelphia. So we'll figure it out one day. We'll get it done. Uh, but, you know, I've been saying that for what, six years now, uh, eight years now. Um, so we'll see. Um, but the players were not happy. They were very sad that Aaron was murdered in front of them. <laughs> Because Aaron, despite the fact that like you as a DM were playing him, mm-hmm. he was a PC in this game. Yes. Um, it was uh, weird at first, but it was a lot of fun. Um, Aaron is a very... Um, well, coming up with Aaron was like, I needed a character that could, a, for them, for combat, take the front line. But then it came up to like, what is this character like? And how do I stop myself from role-playing of myself? from like 20 minutes while the party's looking onward. Um, and so that was a lot of questions I had to answer with Aaron. Um, and it started off with um, one of my favorite motifs, and I still need the of today, is the, you know, the soft boy that doesn't speak a lot, uh, but slowly over time becomes more confident in himself. Um, and what he says and does uh, will reflect that. And so, we started with Aaron, and Aaron, remember, is the son of Lazaroff, who's a gold dragon. So he's part dragon, half-orc, man-person. He's got a lot of big shoes to fill. Um, and he hasn't been good at filling those shoes when he meets the party. And uh, he starts it off very nervous, very quiet, and shy. So it allowed them to interact with this character while me to not hog the spotlight. Um, Aaron would still say things and be part of the party when people directed at him. And stuff like that. And the party would specifically target him. Like, hey, Aaron, what do you think? And like, he'd be like, oh, you know. Uh, you know, at first. Because he's that kind of squirmy little. He's like, oh, squirmy paladin. Like, how does that work? <laughs> um, but uh, it w- it became this really cool dynamic. Where um, party members would, you know, ask him questions. Or expect him to do certain things in combat. Or, um, you know, ask him, like, hey, I need you to you know, they point, like, I need you to go ride that horse or something. Because I'm trying to think of Aaron's, like, I don't have this hair to shoot in front of me. Uh, can I grab that real quick? Yeah. So they'd be like, hey, Aaron, can you um, heal this sickly old man? Or, you know, what do you see, Aaron? You know, because he has a very high perception score. Um, so it revolved around um, being this kind of person where I, like, had to, like, almost flip a switch on an instant to be Aaron the NPC or to be the DM that was covering everything. And having a shy character seems like a pretty good way to deal with that. Mm-hmm. It worked. Um, it worked really well for the most part. Uh, but then I realized, I'm like, he can't just be the character that sits in the corner and goes, um, "Well, you know," for the entire campaign because that's just a boring character. Um, and it also really clues the party in if Aaron's like, "Oh, I wonder what's over yeah. there." So um, he became a, um, and I I found the way to break the pattern with that was like, how do I get this character? more involved with the party and that was actually um when my friend jokingly hit on him um because he was playing a female character and she was hitting on him and he like i'm like oh he blushes and i was like that's it romance we can do that we can do romance (laughs) and so he falls in love with the cleric fighter and you know they like had this cool really awesome relationship and that got them to be really excited about him and got let parts of his personality shine uh, where, you know, you got the part where he was, he felt like a failure, you know, where he felt he couldn't do anything right. Um, but, you know, it turns out there's this guy on here that's actually really good in his job. He just need the confidence, you know. Um, he'd love to protect his friends and family. You know, he believed in good in the world. So you got this really cool, albeit a little generic character, but it worked for the setting we needed for and got the party to really fall in love and love his character. So, so, just to make sure I understand, you were role-playing your DMPC in a romance with your straight friend uh, who was playing a lady. Yes. <laughs> what was that like? Um. By the way, this is an all-gay podcast season. 
Um, it was fine, actually. Um, you know, there was never, like, a point where people's feelings were hurt or anything like that. Like, it felt... Um, how do I put it? So, Ben's character, Reba, was very much like, um, have you ever seen the Who's Line skit where it's like, how do you start a fight? So there's a Who's Line skit where it's like, how do you start a fight? And then the first question and the first response was like, hey guys, you want to start a fight? That was very much Reba. She was like, hey, y'all want to start a fight? And so it felt like we had this really cool, strong female character that wanted to like bash heads, you know, drink a lot, you know, throw, throw hands whenever possible. And here you have her like hitting on this like orc paladin that's like very scared and timid. And it just created this really fun, awesome dynamic we had. So it, it never felt kind of weird. It was really fun uh, for, like, playing out their romance and stuff like that. You know, we didn't get too explicit. It was like kind of like, you know, like the cool, cutesy, like high school romance almost. Like, you know, like they held hands. They was like cuddling and stuff like that when, later on. But like, you know, they never, you know, did the deed or something like that. <laughs> As a DM, having found myself in situations where I need to narrate my players doing the deed is always a uh, uh, a situation yeah. I would not find myself in. And this is even true when it's like with players that I've hooked up with a bunch. Mm-hmm. It still feels really awkward. Yeah. So you know, it worked out. It worked out really nicely. So in our campaign, uh, one of the players, uh, she was always hitting on like butch lady NPCs. And I didn't really know how to narrate that, so, so I just had the NPCs always shoot her down. <laughs> that makes sense. To be fair, she was like canonically very evil. Oh, and awkward too. Yeah, she gave a ring to an NPC yeah. at one point uh, the first day they met. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't feel that bad that the NPCs were always shooting her down. Yeah. I mean, but that guy had a lot of people that were like trying to get it. Like... <laughs> Like, we had, Rothgar had how many partners he was trying to, you know, at one point, you know, and so, it was kind of messy. <laughs> right, your player character in that campaign lived happily ever after in he a did. trouble. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Bisexual part, yay! Anyway, let's get back to the actual campaign mm-hmm. we're talking about, sorry. Yeah. It's hard not to reminisce on that game because I miss it so much. <laughs> so... Did you ever feel like you were in situations where the decisions that Aaron was making were trying to steer the party towards, like, not necessarily getting towards the next goal, but sharing some information they might need or something like that? Um, never really. The team was, the party was really good at scouting and understanding their missions. Um, so that was never really an issue about him revealing too much about that. There was, like, the issues we came across was, like, him maybe spoiling too much about his father or, you know, military plans that we have going on. Um, so it wasn't super duper that way. Um, we didn't have that too many problems with that. Uh, but like they did look to him for help for like, you know, there's something on the puzzle. Like Aaron, what do you think? And you know, this was like, it was nice because like I got to slide hints to them for puzzles and stuff like that. If they weren't quite sure what they should have been doing. And so like, you know, here you have this NPC. It's like, you know, maybe nothing over there, you know? And it worked out so that, you know, I could give a hint and not be like, you know, breaking the fourth wall and jumping into it and be like, you know, hey, there's an actual character here that's talking to you, telling you like, hey, look at this thing. So it does keep them in the game. Yeah. And these players, I guess, were engaged enough in the world that they wouldn't wake up in the morning and say, hey, Aaron, what should we do today? Yeah, no. <laughs> for sure. It was never, ever that. They, they understood that Aaron was along for the ride. Um, and that he was their friend and would do anything for them for the most part. Um, but it was never like, they were like, Hey Aaron, where's that secret door we're looking for in the dungeon? <laughs> Say Aaron, do you know anything about these dragons, uh, master plans? Uh, I don't know, maybe you can ask my father later. <laughs> Your father? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. But it does sound like Aaron was also shy enough mm-hmm. that you never had situations where... Aaron's talking and NPC's talking, Aaron's talking. The only time that ever really happened was when someone upset him. Um, and generally that would have been like, you know, saying something terrible about the party or, you know, um, you know, hurting an innocent person. You know, he's a very, very good boy. Uh, so like, you know, he didn't get heated until 
something bad has happened. And that's when he would really be like, you know, I'm going to put my foot down. Stop this. Don't do this. You know, he would get very, you know, that's when it would happen. Got it. And how did you distinguish to your players whether you were talking as Aaron or an NPC or as Chris the DM? Um, well, as you, our listeners won't be able to see this, but I talk with my hands a lot. Um, it's it's just how I am. And with Aaron, I had very specific hand motions. Um, you know, and I kind of do this when I role play certain voices and stuff like that. Um, my my hand motions change, so like. Aaron's kind of, you know, quiet and soft, so he kind of, like, you know, I start rubbing my hands a little bit or, like, doing nervous fidgets, and that helps indicate that I'm speaking as Aaron right now. Um, you know, other times, you know, it's the less elegant way of just, like, oh, Aaron would like to really know. Uh, Aaron speaks up and says, you know, and I put on my Aaron voice. Um, but for the most part, like, I have different connotations for Aaron specifically, and he sounded a very specific way. So the party knew, like, hey, this is Aaron speaking right now. So, Got it. And your body language changed enough that they yeah. could clue in. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I do know someone who, uh, for their DMPC, puts on a specific hat. Oh, that's a great idea. I love that. And it, it, it scales well, because mm-hmm. if you want to have five DMPCs, you just bring five hats to the session. Yeah. yeah. I think great. all the players would quit, but... <laughs> Right, and so this makes a lot of sense that, and it helps a lot that this is someone who's a little bit mm. more shy and retiring, and so you don't end up talking to yourself. Mm. But in combat, do you end up fighting with yourself? Uh, yes, which is, it's still fun. Um, I find it still fun. I love doing, D&D is the best when you're doing something crazy and weird. Um, so getting to play um, a bad guy, uh, you know, in the enemies was you know the traditional dm kind of thing but suddenly you have like an npc well not an npc a pc on the field that understands every motive i'm going to take um so that can cause problems but it really helps making aaron he's his character is a very reactionary character the things he does is in reaction to what other people do in combat so if you've hurt my friend i'm going to go lay on hands and heal them um, you know, you are approaching us. I'm going to go cut you off. You know, he was a very reactionary thing. He did something because an enemy did something else to him. And that allowed me to keep it so that it wasn't like this all-knowing NPC. It's like, I need to go kill that bad guy in the back before he finishes the ritual and kills everyone. Like, you know, it left him to be this, truly the shield that they needed, uh, which is why the whole point Aaron was introduced, because he's a very reactionary person. He's like, I would like to do this in response to someone doing something else. And so that was the biggest thing to help combat flow with Aaron wasn't ever to make him like the center of attention, but to make him someone that was still very vital to the party, just not the first person vital to the party. Because like, I think Aaron has an initiative of zero. And we talked about like, you know, my friend Dan's wizard who has an initiative of 15. Aaron almost went last, so it worked out very perfectly. No, that works excellently. And it sounds like your players really knew that they could direct Aaron as a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of times they'd be like, hey, Aaron, I need you to like get this guy. Or, hey, Aaron, please watch my back. I'm doing this. Um, they would occasionally ask him to do certain things. Um, we came across Undead a couple of times. Like, hey, Aaron, I need you to channel your positive energy to kill them. You know, those kinds of things they would direct Aaron to do. Um, so... They could definitely roll out in a pinch, but they understood that, like, you know, he's not going to give them the cheat codes to, like, break the encounter. Say, chums, I hear that this enemy is vulnerable to radiant damage. <laughs> hmm. Don't use your slashing weapons over here. Like, you know, he, he still played into the things that the PCs would play into, too, so. And that kind of personality, it also makes a lot of sense that he would acquiesce. He mm-hmm. would not volunteer a lot of information. And so it almost feels like the balance you came up with is, is, is decent in having that diegetic helper mm-hmm. as opposed to just like the hand of God. Exactly. Um, that's the kind of, that's why I kind of like always have loved Aaron because he's very much just the extra oomph. The party didn't need a lot to get go, keep going. It just needed just a little bit of help. And so him entering the party created that little bit of help we needed to like make sure the campaign was fun. And what was the rationale of having a fully statted out NPC as opposed to giving them, like, I don't know, a, a swarm of helpful butterflies or something like that? Um, well, first of all, like, I... This is something you might not know about me, is when I have an NPC that I have named by name, 
um, they have full stat blocks. I'm a crazy person. <laughs> they all have full stat blocks as if they were PCs. Um, That's so much more. <laughs> I mean, it can be, but like, you know, you get quick at, at like creating character sheets. You can go boom, 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 and have it done really fast. And let, let the record show that a Pathfinder character sheet is effectively like a multi-page spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... I got just really fast at doing this for all of the characters I've named. Um, the quartermaster, his name is Ryan, Ta- Ryan, Ta- wow, Ryan Tars. Um, and he has a whole character sheet. There's a whole character sheet on him because he also stood there and fought them, but like he has a full statted out character sheet. Um, with Aaron, I made this character sheet so like he would like follow them around and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? Um, because like I was like, I have all these NPCs and this is how I do it anyway. I was just like, let's just shove Aaron into the party and let's just because I already have his character sheet done shove him in there and so it's kind of just like because of my weird habits of making fully fleshed out character sheets because it also helps me um, identify what stories I want to tell with my characters sometimes Um, you know what kind of weapons they use you know why is that you know sometimes it lets me answer questions from it Um, and so making Aaron I was like wait this works (laughs) so um, it was really easy just to slide him into the party since I'm crazy. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. But he was at the same level as the player characters. Yeah. So these character sheets, some of them are a little bit old because I didn't quite have the most recent versions of all the character sheets. Like some of these characters are level 9, like Aaron level 14. Um, so um, he just slotted right in at the same level. Um, it was really easy just keeping him on par with the parties that wasn't felt like we were having some super power character or someone else take a spot from them you know so right of course because you don't want to steal the big moments mm-hmm. from the party yeah you know the party is still the focus they're the ones who are still doing all the cool things Aaron's the long for the ride but he's also they're like you know like uh like misplaced NPC almost PC like you know he's still their best friend that's gonna come along and help them out so did you ever end up in situations where just due to an accidental dice roll or something like that, Aaron really got a cinematic moment? And- oh, I wish. Aaron, despite his statsy, and besides me being very good, Jake can tell you I'm very good at making characters good in combat. Um, he had a terrible knack for rolls. And like he would often just go full combats and never land an attack with this sword and I was like my own buddy come on like but that's actually what you want right yeah you don't want him overshadowing the players for sure uh but it just became like a really weird habit that he just would never hit things and so the party alert and that's probably why they were like also very cool with him being reactionary is that he just could never do damage unless it was something assured like someone gave him true strike or something like that you know it was a good chance it's like oh it's Aaron's turn good luck buddy we, we believe you <laughs> I mean, between the personality you gave him and you, the you know the fact that you never rolled the high number, I think this is the best case scenario for a DMPC yeah. who can step back quite yeah. easily. It was it was kind of perfect. My bad luck with rolling dice was like it worked out really well for us. <laughs> is there anything that you know, having had the whole campaign play out and having Aaron meet this tragic fate, is there anything that you would have done differently? Um. Well, that's a good question. I don't know if there's things I would... There's definitely things I would do differently because I've, as a person, I've grown as a DM and I've changed even, like, as a player in a DM, I have changed um, the way I roleplay, the way I run campaigns. It's very different than Chris of, you know, eight years ago that could bumble in and, like, you know, like, I, I put a lot more time to my work. You know, Chris of eight years ago is like, they're coming over in 45 minutes, we're up 30 minutes of stuff really fast. Um... I, <laughs> I guess I'm not supposed to say that out loud. Um, Wait, I don't... Riley, have you ever DM'd? It happens sometimes. It happens. <laughs> um, and... Like, me running that campaign today would be much different because also, like, not just have my skills evolved and changed, like, me as a person, you know, politically and mentally have also very much changed, you know? Uh, I would be probably a lot more cautious about, you know, doing the romantic thing 
with <laughs> my straight friend um, while being a gay man. Um, that probably would be like, I'd be like, I'm going to set some, I would have talked to him first to set some boundaries instead of just going for it like we did with the campaign. Um, so like, yeah, there would definitely be a lot of things, but like, I don't know if there's like anything with the story I would change really. Um, maybe like, I'd probably try and find someone to help me write a couple more poems and stuff like that. Cause poems are like a huge thing I love to use in campaigns and like, you know, like what? Poems? Can you give? Can you give us like? In what context are you using poems? Like usually, like you know, to tell like a tale or a story to give backstory. Like you know, there's this fable tale, and like someone says a poem, and the party's like, write that down, write that down. <laughs> like I always find they do that, and so like I love using poems like that. Um, I've also become a lot more of a physical DM with um, in person. Like I love doing in person D and D, and I love when I was broke in Philadelphia, I would go to thrift stores. And I would look for small little knickknacks. This could be like old, like bulbous keys, like, you know, for like a door that doesn't exist anywhere, something like that. And like to be able, like, you find a key and then like pull it out and pass it to someone. Um, I felt created a lot of texture. Um, so like I would be doing more of that and stuff like that. So, like I said, it just, it would have a lot of weird different changes now that I've grown as a person. So. That makes a lot of sense, and I think the idea of having little props that you give out... Oh, it's it's gold. Just give them, give them the tiniest little... Like, spray paint some rocks. Call them, like, you know, like, jewels of, like, amethyst or something like that. And, you know, like, and, you know, hand them out. Like, do crazy weird things. Like, keeping people involved with props really helps keep them in the suspension of disbelief when you're DMing. So I find that's a super helpful thing. And ultimately, this sounds like a campaign that was crafted to preserve that feeling of staying in-universe and minimizing the number of times you had to step out of character. Yeah. And, and having this DMPC actually really helped with that, it Exactly, like. yeah. And, you know, like, we'd stop, you know, we'd have normal stops, you know, we would during a campaign, you know, and stop for lunch or something like that. But, um, yeah, it, all of this really helped try and keep keeps everyone focused in the game and what's happening, so. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I, I, you, I, I'm gonna be honest. Mm -hmm. I'm really skeptical of DMPCs. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. You kind of converted me in this one specific case. <laughs> I think it was a very specific case. Like I wouldn't try this again, probably. But like, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. No. I. I guess when I run games, I'm often very concerned about stealing the thunder, mm -hmm. taking away the spotlight, because like. It's unfair if I'm the one generating the spotlight to also be the to one to hog it. Yeah, it. yeah, and it really seems like with Aaron, you got to a place where this character was helping them, was helping them through some ridiculously crunchy combat because this is Pathfinder. Yep. Uh, it was bringing those paladin abilities, but wasn't necessarily like I slayed the beast. Mm -hmm. The dragon killer is mine. No, like, uh, Aaron was very much a. Um... You can do it, cheerleader kind of guy. <laughs> right, which which to the party is, is like, oh, this is great. We like having Aaron here. And yeah. not like, Aaron has a plus 18 sword? What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so can you tell us about any... Um, oh, let me try that again because I actually have a question before yeah. that. Do you have any clothing... Wow. Let me try that one more time. Do you have any closing thoughts you want to share about the campaign? Um... Actually, one um, I want to, if you if you don't mind me getting on a soapbox real fast. So, um, like I said, I first started playing D and D when I was a sophomore in high school, and I borrowed this thing from my first DM, um, which is a website. There's a D there's a D and D website. It's called what is it? I have it written down. Uh, MojoBob.com. Um, <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes. Um, and on MojoBob.com, there is a list of 10,000 random events that can happen. And I stole this list from my DM. Um, and so the rule is whenever you rolled a 2 in this campaign, not a 1, not a 20, a 2, um, I'd roll that table and let you know if something happened that affected your characters. Um a couple of my favorite ones are um, you gain the ability to speak to plants once per day. <laughs> um, all your precious metals turn to soap. <laughs> Wait, what? All your precious metals turn to soap. It happened to my character when I was playing in that campaign. I was not happy. 
That's wild. <laughs> so and, and every time they rolled a nat twenty on anything. No, nat two. I'm so sorry, nat two on anything. Nat two, um, because there was an idea behind it that like you know an optimized character can roll three and probably get something done. But a one and a two, you're never going to that. One is always an automatic fail, but let two in this weird spot where it's like, no one's excited about a two. <laughs> no one's hoping someone rolls a two. Um, and so he had this idea where he was like, roll the two. Roll the D1 or 10,000, see what happens. <laughs> and so... This is such a wild idea. I'm actually going to go run and get some d- some dice. Sure. And try it. <laughs> So these are just a collection of dice I have. There, they used to be a full metal set, but like over the years, I have lost. I have lost them. I think I had uh, a full set of metal ones. These are like I got them in like 2009. Those metal ones. I forgot I had dice. Did you steal my mason jar idea? Yes, <laughs> such a good idea. Well, wait, you have your fancy dice. Uh, not, not fancy. They're just they're pretty dice. beautiful. All right, we will absolutely put a link to this table in the yeah. show notes. Um, so sometimes, you know, nothing hap- nothing interesting happens with a D10,000, like, you can get some rolls that do nothing, and that's fine. Um, and sometimes that keeps even more suspense, like, they'll roll a two and they'll look at you and you're like, you'll roll some dice, and you're like, okay, carry on. Because <laughs> they don't necessarily know what the effect is going to yes. be. Oh, I love that. Okay, <laughs> let's try this table right, right now. So we need, um... So you're going to roll a D100... And then roll a d100 again yes. to figure out the specific effect. So, we got a 79. Okay, so I'm going to table 79. And we're going to roll this one more time. We got a uh, 86. When injured, target weeps like a baby for 1d10 rounds. <laughs> So weird stuff like this could happen. And I feel it just adds just enough spice. Because twos don't happen enough in D&D for this to be a continual thing. Unless, like, you know, someone's really crazy just keeps going twos. But, like, injects just the right amount of chaos into the campaign <laughs> that I love. That's beautiful. I'm going to mess with... I'm going to have to incorporate <laughs> this into a future uh, one-shot. Uh, wow, Okay. Um, and the whole story reason behind that too was that um, that chaos cleric that ruined everything. It was his influence over the plane that caused these weird events to keep happening. Do you want to do one more roll because this is ten thousand? <laughs> I feel like we have so much to. Explore. All right, we'll do one more, one more, and then we one get back more, on track. And then we should actually talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Why don't you do this one? I did this oh, one. Oh, oh shoot! Okay, I'll, do this, I'll do this one. Okay. These dice are so heavy, Riley. Is this an okay sound? Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's eighty-seven. Got table 87 up. 99. I'm rolling like crazy high numbers. Uh, do you remember in our game when rolling 99 meant teleporting to hell? Oh gosh. And it happened twice? <laughs> All within 50 yards disarm themselves as quickly as they can. So, like, that could happen during combat. Everyone throws their weapons away. That is a game-breaking <laughs> weird thing to happen. I love this. So, um, that's, that's my closing thing, is, like, I love that. Um, let a little chaos flow, people. Let it have fun. You can have a lot of fun with this, so. I absolutely love this. <laughs> Do you have any... Was there any media you were reading or watching or listening to that really helped you while you were putting together this campaign? Um... God, I, I do, and I, I'm going to feel really embarrassed about saying this. Um, you know, collecting all the magical items, I was watching Dragon Ball a lot when this happened. And not not Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball G. I'm talking like 1980s kind of sexist Dragon Ball. I was watching it again. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> that show has some moments. Um, and I was rewatching it because... Um, 
it's like it reminded me of like this weird part where I would go to my cousin's house and like just see clips of it and be like, what's going on in the show? And, um, you know, people think of Dragon Ball, they think of like someone staying there for five minutes screaming. And the original Dragon Ball was very much just like Adventure to the East, we're having a good time, weird things are happening, you know, let's explore this weird, crazy world. Um, and so I was really watching that at the time, and that was a big influence over the campaign, you know, collect these seven hourglasses, something happens. Um, that's why they're not Pauls. Um, obviously, Aladdin was a great example of a character that we used influenced. Um, I just love the Sultan from Aladdin. <laughs> I don't I know why. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters. He's just so ridiculous and happy, but like still, for some reason, a very good ruler. And so like, I kind of loved him. Um, so I was like, I want to incorporate him somehow. And I was like, oh, making him like a dragon that's like a super powerful, you know, scary gold dragon. Um, but like having him in the most like approachable, fun form felt like really cool. Um, also for uh, Rannick, our black dragon, I love Lex Luthor and Xanatos from Gargoyles. <laughs> I drew a lot of influence from them about like, you know, he's evil, but he also kind of has a point. And that was kind of Rannick's um, whole thing was like, you know, hey, I'm evil, but I've got to stop the demons from, you know, conquering our world and stuff like that, which he ultimately failed to do. But like, it was me making a villain with another angle. Um, that was really fun, so. Which is tough to do because I think a lot of the time in D&D, the villains, uh, their motivations are pretty unambiguously yeah. like, why would anyone follow them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, his, his ultimate goal was, like, rule the world and still be kind of evil. Like, that was kind of, like, a generic thing. But he's like, I have a bigger problem in front of me, you know. It's this weird chaos cult that's running around ruining everything. I need to put them in their place. Um, so that's where I liked coming up with that idea, so. That makes a ton of sense. I Maybe this would be a whole separate episode, but do we have any evidence that the Sultan from Aladdin was actually a good ruler? It seems like there's a whole poor underclass. I mean, yes, there is. But also, like, whenever it's referenced, they're like, like no one's ever really mad at him. Like, even the poor people, if you think about it, like, no one's ever like, man, I hate the Sultan. Like, you know, he, they're just like, yeah, we're poor. And so I'm like, I don't know if that's the Sultan's fault. Do people actually like the Sultan? But the point was, like, I wanted an approachable character. <laughs> but, like, you're all right. We should dig into that. Like, you know, find some Disney people with some Disney heads. Like, hey, was the Sultan actually good at his job? <laughs> all right. Coming soon to the Folded Frequencies <laughs> Network. We, we interrogate the monarchies behind Disney classics. Yes. <laughs> King Triton, objectively a terrible ruler. Absolutely. Yeah. Trying to think of a good ruler I mean, in a Disney movie. Not... Mufasa? No, no. Mufasa's a bad ruler. He let the hyena starve. Yeah. I don't know. Is there a good ruler? Does, does... Cusco by the end of the that first yeah. movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the king in Shrek seems pretty beloved. But he was also awful. Was he? Yeah. He's short. And also wow. just a dick. Towards all the fairy tale characters. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll launch that podcast soon. <laughs> Do you have any tools or resources other than this D10,000 table, which we'll absolutely link to in the show notes. Do you have any other tools or resources that might be helpful for the players? Um, so I'm a big fan of a couple websites. Uh, Dungeon Fog is a map-making website that I use in my current campaigns. I really love that website a lot. Um, Shoutouts to them. Um, Reddit is a huge resource I use, especially for playlists. Um, a lot of my music, uh, I found... Initially, I was like, I was leaning very heavily on video game music to help set the pace and the tone and stuff like that, which isn't bad. Um, but like, there's a whole genre of like fantasy music on Spotify, if you know what you're looking for. And I was like, Reddit, help me out. Give me some playlists. And so I have like three or four playlists. Like I have city ambience or like, you know, tense moments, combat music. Is this combat like simple and normal? Or is it like, you know, big boss, ultimate battle fight, you know, music. So, um, that's another like, resource. Like, look at Reddit. Like, as much as I don't always like that website, <laughs> um, it's a great resource there. Um, and finally, um, there's a lot of really great tools 
out there for different systems um, that are independent. Uh, I use a website called, I used a program called PC Gen um, for Pathfinder campaigns. And that's probably why I was able to like help people get through this so quickly because they had this program to help them walk them through making a character. So um, any character generator like that is really, really helpful and handy. You heard it here first, folks. Chris recommends that you spend more time on Reddit. <laughs> oh gosh, no. <laughs> Don't do that. Chris, it's sincerely been a pleasure having you yeah, on today. it's been great. Your campaign sounds fascinating. You've kind of swayed me on the topic of DMPCs. <laughs> I'm glad. When we were planning this out, I was a little bit skeptical. That's fair. It's a very skeptical thing to be skeptical about. But uh, it sounds like what you did with Aaron really did help your party. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Of course, anytime. That's all for this week. Thanks, Chris, for taking the time to chat with us about your campaign. I've been Jake behind the mic. I'm Production Master Riley. And every time I look into the mirror, I see a gaunt figure standing right behind my reflection. Join us next week when we chat about the Genesis tabletop system. For more on the show, including links to all our social media, visit foldedfrequencies.com slash campaign spotlight. <laughs>